Hello, my friend. Before we start this amazing episode, I want to invite you to the personal Patreon page of this podcast. If you love what's being done here and want to keep the podcast and the meditations free to the public, then you can come on over to our brand new community on Patreon and donate $11.11 a month and all proceeds will go towards keeping this free, keeping this going. Plus, we'll be building a community together and I'll give you bonus material. You can explore this option in the description of this podcast or just go to patreon.com slash Dr. Reese. Let's begin. Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. So can you imagine waking up and being paralyzed? Welcome to episode number 94. Today, I'm talking to Josh Brown. 11 years ago, he was paralyzed from a car accident. In this conversation, he's going to detail his story, his relationship with God, and his journey over the last 11 years being paralyzed and still having hope that he will walk again. So sit down, relax, and take in this beautiful recording. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So 11 years ago, you had an accident that put you into a wheelchair. What happened? Well, uh, that morning I was, um, I was running away from a situation with, a, with an old girlfriend. Mm. And I was kind of distraught. I was driving an old Toyota, uh, a 1984 Toyota pickup truck through Michigan. I was in Michigan and I was driving north of uh, Big Rapids and I was, I was heading back over to Wisconsin to see my brother on this uh, cranberry farm that I used to work at. It was a long drive. Yeah, it was a, a pretty long drive, about five, five hours. Yeah, mm-hmm. about a five hour drive. I had a really strong feeling that morning to go back to my friend's place and to, uh, to stay there for one more night. And I ignored that intuition and I drove north anyway. My brakes were acting up on my truck. And I was getting all these little signs and signals all the way there, almost all the way there. Uh, I got up across the Mackinac Bridge and I was driving through the Upper Peninsula, Wisconsin. And I had just gotten into Wisconsin on Highway 70 and I was passing this small town called Florence. Everything felt surreal. It was, it was a really warm kind of May, mid-May day. And uh, I'm driving maybe 55 down this, this small highway through the National Forest. And I looked over and I realized that I'd spilled a jar of honey on my seat. Mm. A friend had given me a jar of honey before I left. And this jar of honey just poured all over my seat. Then I heard a buzzing sound. And I realized that there was a bumblebee sitting on top of my head. Mm. And instead of slowing down, pulling over, I kind of like started trying to be off my head. And uh, 
I knocked it down to the seat and I was trying to knock it off of the seat without getting stung. And I look up and I realize that I'm going off the edge of the road. So I overcorrected my wheel and that caused my truck to flip. And I rolled across the highway. I remember seeing a culvert go by as I rolled into a ditch and uh, the truck crushed down on top of my head. The cab crushed on my head. When the truck came to a stop, I was, I was looking out through a crack and uh, I, tried to, I tried to crawl out and uh, I realized I could barely move my arms. Like my whole body was tingling. I didn't realize at that moment that I had, was paralyzed already. And I don't know how I was still breathing. And I'm, I'm upside down. I'm looking out through this little crack and, and I realize that I can't move. And I, I cry out, God, help me. And I just start calling for help. And I can see out through the crack, this car pulls up by the side of the road and this fellow comes down and, and he uh, says, are you okay? I says, yeah, I'm okay. Can you pull me out? And he's like, just hang on. Paramedics will be here in about 15 or 20 minutes. I just, I don't, this, this seems to happen in times of crisis. I just started talking to him and I was telling him all kinds of things. And I don't even remember most of what I said. So you started a conversation. Yeah. To kind of distract. Yeah. It's almost like I was keeping myself awake. Are yeah. you in pain? I, you know, I, I don't remember being in a lot of pain. I was, I was kind of, I think I was in this adrenaline kind of state where there was pain, but it wasn't whelming me. Uh, somehow it wasn't overwhelming me. So you're just relaxed, having a conversation, waiting for the paramedics. Yeah. I can't say I was entirely relaxed. But I was in this kind of like, uh, I, I don't know what, what you call it. The shock, shock, shock state. Yeah. Where I, I could have a conversation and somehow I'm still holding it together. <laughs> but then when, uh, when the paramedics got there, I started to realize the gravity of it a little bit. They had to cut the cab open to get me out. And, uh, I, I recall, uh, being afraid of the sound of the, the the saw, whatever they were using to cut me out, and and uh, they rolled me onto a stretcher and stabilized my neck and got me into the ambulance. And I told them where to take me, which was to Marquette, Michigan, and almost north. And in that part of the country, it's a little bit back backwoods. And uh, the nearest trauma center was 100 miles north. And so that's where they took me. But I gave them my brother's phone number and then I passed out. And uh, some hours later, I remember briefly waking up right before they took me into the, the trauma center. And then it was probably not three days later that I woke up in the ICU, but I don't remember so you're, you, you blacked out for three days. Yeah. Pretty much blacked out for three days. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what was the feeling when you woke up? Uh, the first thing I remember when waking up was a scene that did not exist. Um, when I first woke up, I was looking at, it, it's like I was above my body. I was looking at 
myself laying on a table. And at the same time, I was laying on the table. But this table was an empty white room. And it was just like a normal folding table. And there were all these people camped in sleeping bags around me. Like, and I didn't know the purpose of it. But when I fully came awake, I realized, no, I'm actually laying in a hospital bed. I have a tube going down into my lungs. I have, uh, uh, I have another tube that's going up through my nose and down into my stomach to feed me. I'm on a, a I'm strapped to all these different, different things. And, uh, how old are you? How old are you? I believe I was 25, 24, 25. Okay. I've, Young man. Yeah. <laughs> trying to find his way. Yeah. You wake up. You got a tube down your throat. You're being fed food. Liquid food. And what happens next? What what happens when the doctors come in to talk to you? Uh, my memories of, of my conversations with the doctor are um vague brief sure uh, i don't recall the surgeon saying a whole lot to me i remember his presence being reassuring i more remember the nurses and my interactions with them for the most part um there was my father and my brother eric um drove all night long from Montana to come and see me. And uh, when they got there, I remember my dad leaning over me and his tears falling on my face. And um, hmm. I was still a little groggy waking up the first day or two. And uh, friends started trickling in to visit me. I had a lot of friends in the area and uh, some of my closest friends, um, a friend flew up from lower Michigan to see me. A friend came up from Texas to see me. And, uh, I, I ended up having, um, probably a couple, couple hundred people coming through. And as I woke up, I, people would come in, sing me songs and, and, uh, read to me and, how long were you in there for? Uh, I was in the intensive care for three weeks. And then I was uh, uh, flown to Colorado to a rehab hospital in Denver. Mm -hmm. What about surgery? Yeah. So uh, they had done immediate surgery when I, when I was rolled in there. Okay. So when you were knocked out for three days, the surgery had already happened. Yeah, when I woke up, I was recovering from the surgery. So, so you didn't even have a say. No, no, I was in constant pain, and uh, at, at that point, and I was on morphine and other things, and they had to consistently adjust me to make sure my neck was comfortable. So I had this uh, eight-inch-long scar in the back of my neck. They had to take a um, a piece of bone out of my hip to fuse a couple vertebrae together, and. They put in some uh, rods and screws. They're, the rods are known as Harrington rods. Life is just, it's completely changed in three days. Yes. Like, it's like going to sleep and waking up and everything's different. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and, and it wasn't uh, dawning on me fully, you know, some of my first thoughts was like, oh, you know, I, I'm just going to walk again, you know, I'm, I, I didn't, I didn't get the gravity of, 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 uh, of a spinal cord injury like that, you know, I was, um, I was diagnosed uh, C6, sorry, C5, C6 quadriplegic, so that means I'm paralyzed from the, the chest downwards, that gave me some arm function. I had almost no arm function until they did the surgery, developed some arm strength. I couldn't breathe on my own for a long time. I was on a respirator, so it, it had to breathe for me. It took me a while to get some lung strength back. Okay. So you go to Colorado, you do rehab. When does it really, when does the gravity kick in that you're not going to be walking? Hmm. Uh, that was somewhere that was somewhere during rehab just in during that time that I had some wonderful um, I had some wonderful therapists therapists of various sorts that you know we we even had psychologists and so on Craig Craig Hospital in Inglewood Colorado is is one of the uh, country's uh, premier spinal cord injury and, and head injury rehab hospitals and they have a series of programs and designed to to get people back into the to the world after they're injured and uh, i went through most of those so it's physical therapy it's it's counseling it's it's a, a number of things just to to help uh to help get me back into the world yeah when did the tears start um you had to have released at some point. Yeah, yeah. You know, interesting thing about that. I would, I would say it, during rehab, somewhere in the middle there. But, but the real release type stuff, release type stuff, actually for me, oddly enough, didn't really start coming until a year or more later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just naturally pulled myself into the most positive state I could, could muster during in that period of rehab. And well, well, it's kind of like being an athlete or something. You have a goal in front of you and you're tackling it and it's a challenge and a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then when I got home and real life sets in, you know, that's, that's when it really started to, to dawn on me the real challenges that were beyond, you know, having that, I had a huge support team. I was blessed with a support team. I was blessed with all the people visiting me in the hospital it was wonderful. And I had a, a nice community to come home to as well, but yeah, keeping and developing a sense of purpose and, and um, the difficulties really started when I got home for sure. The okay. bigger, ones. I mean, it was always challenging, but yeah. Yeah. Then you, you know, going to the bathroom, dating. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, all just going to the grocery store, uh, driving, you know, playing a sport, all the, all this, it just must come crashing down mentally. Yeah. Yeah. So 
one of the biggest things was the the grieving or the the loss of all the things that I used to be able to do that I wanted to do that I felt like I couldn't do anymore having to reframe my whole life just the entire sense of purpose there was there was an interesting um aspect of like learning how to do things in a modified way that was still satisfying on the in the in the in a physical way i guess like you know how do i pick something up with with my hand you know um and you know i've got this this kind of hand you know and i've got what they call tenodesis and but i fingers so how what do you do with that you know and of course in rehab i i was given adaptive tools and shown different things to do when you get home and you've got these different barriers and obstacles and you're working with people and it's um it, it, it's challenging for sure right at least yeah you have a whole new life in front of you at this point a whole yeah. new life to figure out and did depression hit or anxiety no anxieties for the most part definitely some depression um feeling sorry for yourself yeah definitely some feeling sorry for myself um i also had a little bit of a medical depression that happened too because of a a, a drug that i decided to wean off of without without talking to a doctor mm. and uh so I, I went into a deeper depression at a certain point for for uh, for a few weeks, and I, I actually was crying alone in my room in the dark, wondering what was the matter with me, and not making the connection. Um, but I mean, it was all the factors, but that was one of them. Mm. Some years later, you uh, you discovered natural health. Yes, and you started experimenting with the fruits and the vegetables and the juices and the fasting and things of this nature. How, how did that help? Yeah. So uh, about four years into, into my injury, um, dealing with chronic pain, uh, inflammation, edema in my feet, um, severe muscle spasms that, that would sometimes throw me out of my wheelchair uh, you know, a muscle jerks in your back. And if you don't have your straps on, you just kind of flop onto the floor. Mm. Um, and sometimes I'd have to wait on the floor if, if someone wasn't around to get picked up. And uh, that was, that was uh, frustrating. But um, I, I was in such pain at times that I couldn't have a normal conversation. Um, I just wanted to sleep much of the time and uh, uh, I was dealing with extreme low blood pressure and a uh, number of other health issues that come with with paralysis um, ingrown toenails uh, of some uh, <laughs> constipation some rectal bleeding different various things and I was tired of it I was tired of suffering I had already previously been aware of of things I could do to, to, to take steps towards helping my health in a net with natural methods, you know, the, the pharmaceutical drugs I was taking, um, different therapies weren't, weren't, uh, helping to the, the degree that I would have liked to have some relief. 
And um, so I started experimenting. And the first thing I thought of was, why don't I try a raw food diet? And one of the reasons I had thought of that, because I'd previously been aware, even before my accident, I had kind of dabbled in it a little bit and um, explore. And I started watching people on YouTube, like, uh, like Dan McDonald mm-hmm. and some others. And I had a roommate at the time. And, and one day he, he sends me a, a video of Dr. Robert Morris, you know, a Fox News TV uh, show from the, I think it was the eighties or the nineties where he's working with um, a man named Roger Leaphart, who was a, a quadriplegic for, for a long time. And um, I got really excited. Like I, at the time I, I remember I kept saying to God, I kept saying to the universe, I want to know what true healing is. I want to learn what real healing is. Can you show me what, what true healing is? I want to get up and walk. I, and that felt like an answer to a part of an answer to my question. And that day when that came, I was just so excited. I was so excited. I just started watching these, all these videos. And it's, I started to explore and research and I just jumped into to eating healthier than I had been previously. You know, I was eating Papa Murphy's pizza and drinking beer and, <laughs> and I decided to, to clean myself up a bit. What kind of effects did you have once you started changing your diet and detoxing and cleansing? Yeah. <clears throat> in the early, in the early days, um, it, the, the pain would do this kind of roller coaster thing where, where it would go up and it would go down and, and didn't seem to be uh, lessening a whole lot. You know, I was riding a roller coaster and I, I kind of, you know, it's been about seven or eight years since I started this. So it's a little fuzzy. Some of it's a little fuzzy, but I started to notice first, one of the first things that I've, I've had a lot of relief with my, my digestive tract and my bowels, you know, uh, you know, I get up in the morning and have what we, what we, what's known as a bowel program where we use a suppository uh, that, uh, that helps us have bowel movements. And I would sit there for maybe two hours and, uh, it'd be hard to, hard to clear my body. And, and, uh, sometimes I would bleed a little bit and, you know, I would be exhausted afterwards and I would need to sleep. And I knew that wasn't healthy. So I started switching my diet up and a little over time, it started to shorten, you know, the, the time that my, my bowels evacuated and the time that, you know, the, the, the irritation and the pain started to subside in that area f- first. So I noticed incremental improvements and I just kept at it. I believed it often and, uh, I started to notice a lot of relief after some months. So you, you definitely improved your body in, in a lot of ways. Are you still hopeful that you're going to get up and walk? I am actually. <laughs> um, I haven't discovered the end of it. And uh, at this point, though, I've come so far as to realize that that 
healing is multifaceted. And, uh, and you know, what do you consider heal healed? You know, what is the end of, of, of you know, the, the, the healing process? And I don't know that, that something like that, depending on what you're looking at, really ends in, in one life. Um, if you're going deeper than, than just the physical body. How have you changed spiritually? Mm. You mentioned God when you had your accident initially, as you were laying there, sitting there, stuck. And if I might, I'd like to go back to when I was nine years old. Sure. Uh, when, I, when I was nine, I had just a, a desire come up with me, come up in me, rather, come up in me. I, I felt... I, I wanted something that I couldn't fully name. And having grown up in a Christian household, um, I just, I knelt down to pray one morning and I, I'm praying in this chair and, and I'm kneeling at this chair and, and nine years old. I don't even remember everything that I said, but I remember for the first time feeling, uh, a presence that filled my, filled up my chest, a, a joy that filled me up. And that ignited a spark in me. And so I started seeking. And I had this whole period of time throughout my teen years where, well, between 11 and 13, actually, where I, I really... I really felt a need to, to, to seek God. And so I, at that time, I would spend hours a day praying and I would, I would get up and, and as I was taught in what I, what I grew up in, I would read my Bible and I used to, uh, I built myself an altar in my bedroom closet. Mm. I would, I would hang out in there for three hours and just have conversations with God. Mm. And sometimes I would just get filled with this bliss and, and, uh, you know, Jesus was my best friend at the time, you mm. know? Mm. And, uh, and then, you know, I, at a young age, I went through a really, uh, dark night of the soul where, where that, that presence and that experience that I was having left me. And I felt completely abandoned and empty. And I didn't understand that. And uh, my heart was just crying out. And I would spend a long period of time each day just asking, where are you? Where did you go? Why did you leave me? What did I do? And there was a point where I even, I don't know why I felt like I needed to do it. But at that time, I, I imagined Satan as an enemy externally. And so I, I challenged him one day. <laughs> I don't remember the things I was saying. It's like, I'm stronger than you. God's on my side, this and that and the other. Uh, coming from the mind of, of a 12-year-old, mm. you know, 13-year-old. And, and uh, when I did that, this uh, despair came over me. I, I went into this deep, deep feeling of, of creeping fear where it's like you're standing over a precipice looking into a yawning pit about to fall, you know, and there's no hope. 
and I felt completely abandoned and separated. And that sent me into uh, a place of, of um, I, I was beside myself with, with grief and uh, fear. And so I just started howling, like crying, like, and I, I couldn't do anything but walk down the stairs and I couldn't explain anything to my mother. She was sitting in the living room. I just laid in her lap and I cried myself to sleep. Mm. And uh, I, I never, I never did that again. Like I, I didn't challenge the devil. That way. <laughs> you know, I know there's a lot of concepts about whether, you know, what the devil is or whether or not he exists, those kinds of things. But I just wanted to come from that perspective of, of myself at that age. I, at that point I did, I was dealing with a certain type of, of a, abandonment feeling like, God had left me and I'd done something to deserve it. And um, if you're feeling that, then how do you feel after your accident? Over the years, I'd gone through different cycles of spirituality. At this point in my life, I was, I, there, there was a point where I was, I had a very healing period of time in nature. I spent many years just living out in the woods a lot and nature had kind of a healing effect on, on my, my spiritual process. And uh, by the time the accident happened, I had been uh, spending some time with um, Lakota traditions and Ojibwe traditions of the, the tribes in the North up there mm -hmm. and um, partaking in sweat lodge ceremonies and, and various Native American traditions. And a lot of that had been healing for me by, by that time. And my, over the years, I was forming a different relationship with that, which we call God. And, and so by, by then it, it was almost instinctual. I just knew that I was going to be okay. I knew that I was going to live and I felt, um, I felt God with me at that point. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't question it. It's like, there's a knowing beyond, beyond that experience I had when I was younger that comes to me in those moments. Mm -hmm. And so my, my trust was slowly built back up over the years. Do you find a lesson in your accident or do you find, how do you find peace with it? that takes me back to another thing right before the accident, just a few days before I was spending time in uh, the woods in the national forest at a friend's place. And I had this, I, at that point in my life, I was, I believe 24. I had this strong desire to do something with my life. I needed a purpose. I needed a direction and I felt lost and so I said, I, I said to God, I said to the universe, I want to do something that I've never done before that I'm not comfortable with. I said it exactly like that. I want to do something that I've never done before that I'm not comfortable with. You got it. <laughs> In my head, I was fantasizing about walking across the U.S. from one end to the other. <laughs> but I got, I got what I asked for. And... Um, Wow. 
I even spoke it to a friend of mine. And uh, a week before the accident happened, I had this weird like like uh, anxiety in my body for a week before the accident happened. I kept being afraid that I was going to get in an accident. And then, and then the accident happened. Mm. And uh, so looking back on it now, how I've come to terms with all of that is I, I chose it. I, I know that I chose it. And I remember in the hospital, an, an elderly woman whom I know, a good friend of mine, uh, she said to me, you chose this. And the gravity of it didn't really hit me at the time. What do you mean I chose this? Mm. You know? And I didn't take offense, but I, I also just didn't know what to say. It's like, what do you mean I chose this? Well, we're, we're, we're talking manifestation here. Yeah, manifestation. The power sure. of the mind and creating. And in A Course in Miracles, famous, very famous book, chapter seven, actually. You know, they talk about creating versus miscreating. Yes. And miscreating is essentially the mind not being able to control the mind you know, the vomit thoughts, just the, the <laughs> mental rehearsals, the negative mental rehearsals that just go that come along with the mind. Yes. That's miscreating. So if we don't fix that, who knows where our lives can go? Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've had a crash course in that process, like in the, in the, yeah, in the 11 years since the accident, there's been a whole lot of exploration of, of my mind, how I use it. Yeah, and, and, and there's guys out there to help now. You know, Dr. Joe Dispenza, Dr. Bruce Lipton, these type of guys who help people with creating versus miscreating. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. available. Absolutely. You know, I, I've explored Dr. Dispenza's work quite a bit and I'm still exploring it. Um, yeah. And yeah, so, so I, I know that I chose it and whether consciously choosing or, or somewhat unconsciously choosing. The question remains, who was the bee? Yeah. Who was the bee that <laughs> I remember somebody saying to me, Josh, that bee was a Zen master. <laughs> who was the bee? I remember my mom talking to me and she said, next time, speak to the bee. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, man, here we are. You know, I just, uh, I salute you, you know, and, and all the struggles you go through and how positive you are and how diligent you are with your diet and your everything. And, you know, I, I think, you know, you can be a role model to many, so. Yeah, you know, I, I'm kind of working on that. Um, I, I took a little bit of coaching classes. I'm not finished with this coaching course that I've been working on. Um, and uh, I noticed that I, I, I'm decent with some writing. And um, I started a Instagram slowly getting towards setting up a YouTube. And because I, I feel like there's a lot, lot I can share. That's for sure. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Absolutely. And so, yeah, man, who was the B? That's that's what we got to figure out. Who was the B? Indeed. Josh, how can somebody find you if they want to come say hello? You can look me up on Instagram at walk the earth and see all one, all together, walk the earth and see. Okay. S-E-A, like the, like the, like the C, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you for taking time to tell me your story. You're most welcome. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.